Hi friends, uh, welcome to our teaching for the week. We are in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10. Uh, we are going to see some, uh, some one of the most popular verses in the Bible today. Uh, we're going to see one of the most neglected verses in the Bible today. And we are going to hear the story of um, uh, the situation that we find ourselves in and the story of God to act. So let's begin by reading the first couple verses. I'm reading in the NLT today. It says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. There are a couple things here that can be a little difficult for us maybe sometimes as we're reading. Uh, one is like spiritual powers. Is that real? Is that just an ancient, outdated worldview? What do we do with that? Uh, are we really sinful? Like what's God's anger about? And so we want to just sort of pause and, and, and answer some of those questions. The, the first is... Um, this idea in verse two that you used to live in sin. And one of the things that really struck me this week as I was researching is just that the literal word for uh, live in sin there is to walk in the way of sin. It was you were walking in a way of sin, which just sounds to me like this contrast of before in our series, we talked about how in Christ can mean in the manner of, in walking in the way of Jesus. And so Paul is contrasting for us these two different ways of walking in the world. You can walk in the way of Jesus, in the way of reconciliation, healing, right relationship with God, with yourself, with others, with creation. Or you can walk in the way of sin, which is characterized by, he says, uh, under the power and obedience to the devil. And so you have these contrasting ways. Now sin is this word in which sometimes we like, what does it mean? I don't understand. It's offensive to me. It's been used to abuse people and to shame people and, and to cause these problems. And so what does sin mean? What does it mean to be in the power of sin? And, and let's just let's just acknowledge here for a moment that we live in this broken world where we are aware of systematic evil, of systems that oppress people. We are aware of the hatred and division uh, between people and races. We see our creation around us crumbling and crying out and groaning, like Romans 8 says. And, and Christians, actually, we have this word that is so helpful uh, if we understand it in its broadest sense of the world, beyond just religious piety or inner piety, but, but into a comprehensive understanding of the state of the world that, that the state of the world is in. And so we can say, yes, this world is caught in, a, in, in sin. And so in the Laugh and Learn Children's Bible, Phil Vischer says, like, look, God has to rescue us from the stain of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. And if we just, I think it's good for us as Christians to embrace this word again, to, to name the problems that we see around us as this is sin. This is the problem that there is a demonic power that is capturing people and it is leading us into self-destruction. It is leading us into relational destruction. It is leading us into destruction uh, in the world around us and it is cap we are captured in these systems and powers that oppress and hurt people. Drew Hart in his book uh, Who Will Be a Witness he writes Christians have this unique language to diagnose our world. This word is sin and so when it is not reduced to superficial religiosity and inner piety it can comprehensively unveil our fallen structures and powers and relationships and practices and identities. 
And so this is the, the problem that, that Paul is diagnosing. He is saying, look, all of these things, our relationships, our practices, our identities, our structures, they are all fallen. And all of us are captured in that. None of us can escape it. We, and as, as a result, we begin to see this God's, um, Paul writes, God's anger. Um, another translation says it is God's disobedience that is um, God's righteous uh, oh man, yeah, this the consequence for our disobedience. Uh, we, if some translations say wrath, and what is wrath? But wrath is, wrath is God's righteous judgment when things are not right in this world. God is going to put things right, and His He is going to. Uh, he is going to bring justice to this world. And when there is injustice, we need justice for reconciliation. And God's anger is, is let's just say, it's God's justice that is going to come. We are all under the judgment of the reality of our complicity and our, our choosing to work in this, walk in this way of sin. This is the reality of our world. And, and sometimes it's offensive, or sometimes we think, oh, well, you know, that's somebody else, that's not me. But let's not be so arrogant as to think, well, I'm free from this, that I am free from walking in the way of destruction, that I'm, uh, I'm, not, I'm not under a spiritual power. And yet so often, even for many of us Christians, we find that some of our patterns, our behaviors, our patterns, like they are shaped by these powers. We are living in a world that is still captured in the presence of sin and this is our reality and 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 the word the the metaphor that paul will use for this in verse one is that once you were dead this is the reality the state of where we are we are dead we are captured we are under the power of sin and death and we are in trapped in this world that is trapped in this presence of sin and death and it's not a pretty picture and yet, verse 4 begins, but God. And this is, a, this is a phrase that shows up over and over and over in the scriptures. It says, but God, but God. Jesus Christ was killed in Acts. It says, you killed Christ, but God raised him from the dead. And so here in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, Paul says, but God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. God saved you by his grace when he when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. So in these eight verses, we get the, the, but God, you were dead, but God acted, God intervened, God saved, he liberated, he delivered you from this, this reality. So why does God do it? There are five different reasons given in these verses, these next couple of verses, about why God does it. The first one is that because God is rich in mercy and God loved us. This is revealing the heart of God. And, and sometimes let's not get trapped and caught in verse three, in which we say, oh, we are all uh, under this judgment of anger or wrath or, or whatever. Like we can get this impression in our hearts and our minds that, that God is angry at us. But, but, but God, 
but God is rich in mercy, but God is rich in love, but God is merciful and gracious into us. Um, and so we see that God is rich in mercy. He loved us so much that he is gracious and that he is kind. All of these reasons for God's action begin to reveal. And so let's, let's dwell on this. Let us dwell on, on the but God. But God is rich in mercy and love and grace and kindness. Verse 8 says, he saved you, and it says, um, you were saved by his grace when you believed, and that, that believed is pistis, which can mean when you had faith in God, but it can also mean, but you are saved by God's faithfulness. Many tra Bible translations, translations have a little footnote there saying, this is the, another translation. And so, yes, we are saved by faith, that we have faith in God that he does this, but we are also saved because God is faithful to us. That when we were dead, when we were turning away from God and pursuing our own way, walking in our own way, God was faithful in pursuing us and offering us this grace, this gift to come back. He's saying, here's life again. I will raise you and seat you with God. You are dead in your ways, but I will, I will faithfully call you to a new way of living in Christ. I will seat you in the heavenlies at the right hand of God. You are saved. You are united in Christ. God is faithful. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is kind. And God is full of love. This is the heart, the reality, the, the revelation of God to us, of who God is and how God acts towards us. God acts in these ways. And so we have this, this beautiful picture of, of the salvation of the world, this deliverance. And so, uh, you know, again, we have the, you know, um, in verse five, it says, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. What does salvation mean? What does it look like? And, and we, can, we can get into these words sometimes. And I love this picture from Mark uh, chapter three. Um, it speaks of our deliverance there. And it says, uh, if uh, Jesus is talking uh, to the to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders, the teachers, and in verse uh, Mark three verse twenty seven, he says, "Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house." And so. You know, if the first part of Ephesians 2, it says, look, you are trapped under the power of Satan and his uh, of the evil one. You are you are caught under the power of sin and death. Who can save us? And then this picture of Mark, Jesus is like, I am the one who is more powerful. I can bind Satan, the evil one, and I can release his what he has caught. I will release my people. I will bring the deliverance. And so Drew Hart writes in his book, Who Will Be a Witness, he says, we are delivered from ourselves, from exploitation of others, and from the unjust structures and institutions that deny the dignity of all human people. Our re revolutionary Messiah is overcoming sin and death and the evil that keep and the evil that keep us captive. Deliverance is what we need from sin and death and, and the evil that wreak havoc on humanity and the rest of creation. It is a term that reminds us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and to ask us, God, to deliver us from the evil one. 
So this is the picture of, of Ephesians 1 to 8 so far, right? Is that we are trapped and we are held captive by the powers of sin and death, but Jesus is the strong one who can bind him up and set us free, who can deliver us from ourselves, from the ways that we exploit others, from the systems and structures of this world that hold us uh, in hostage and hold others hostage. Deliverance is this rich, rich word, this picture of what God is doing for us and acting on our behalf so that God can bring, as we went back, if we go back to um, Ephesians chapter 1, right, that God's intention, his plan, is to bring all things into reconciliation and unity and healing in Christ. And so this is part of God's great plan to bring all things together in Christ. It's part of his deliverance for us, but also for his world. And now, reading in verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us to do long ago. And so we have this really incredible uh, juxtaposition position here between verses 8 and 10. And so we start with verse 8, which is one of the most, you know, common verses in that we talk. You are saved by grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done. None of us can boast about it. And so this is the reality. God's grace, this acting for us, his deliverance for us and, and for the world is not something that we Earn. It is not something that we do. And yet verse 10 is maybe one of these most um, ignored and most important scriptures in, in the Bible. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So you're not saved by works, but you have works to do. This is because grace does not leave us unchanged. Grace, when we understand what God has done for us, it changes us. And now as people who are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ, we have a work to do. We have a calling. We have a work to bring the reconciliation of God to all things and to work. Um, if, if, what Hart here was saying is that we're delivered from ourselves and the exploitation of others, from unjust structures and institutions that deny the dignity of all human people. Then our role, our task, our work is to begin to, to bring that reality into the world now. We are delivered from ourselves and the exploitation of others. So now we work against the exploitation of other people. Uh, we work for the dignity of all human people because our revolutionary Messiah has overcome sin and death and the evil that kept us captive. And now we have a work to do, a, a place to, to, um, to let the grace that God has worked in us to change us now moves us into action and to bring the reconciliation of all things into this world. I want to say one more just thing about this passage um, that just stri strikes me, uh, or or maybe maybe a better way to do this is, is so what's what's the what's the result? What are we supposed to do? Well, the first thing that Ephesians two is telling us here is that you are not supposed to do anything. Uh, this grace, this gift from God, is a gift from God, and the so the first thing that you do is the that you must begin to absorb and rest in and accept the marvelous richness of God's mercy, his grace, his love, and his kindness to you. Grace will change us 
as we embrace it and allow it to take root in our hearts and our souls, the first action for us is not to go do something. The first action for us is to embrace and accept and live in and out of the grace and mercy of kindness and faithfulness of God. And then after we have deeply absorbed that into our souls and our lives and it's beginning to shape how we live and act, we will see that, that God has good works planned for us to, to bring dignity to human people. To um, In, in uh, the rest of Ephesians, what we're going to really see is that... Uh, is that this grace is going to change the way we relate to people of other races. That's the next section. It's going to change the way that we relate to our families and our workplaces. And, and that all of these things are part of God's great plan for redemption of all things in the unity of the world. So all of this is going to happen. And we have a role to play in that. Uh, and, and yet the first piece is just, do you know how much God loves you? How rich his mercy and how rich his grace, how rich his kindness and great his faithfulness is. Let's embrace that. Let's accept that. Let's welcome that. And allow that then to begin to change our work, our family, our relationship to all that is happening within the structures and powers and, and things of this world. We have a work of deliverance, but first we accept the deliverance that God is working in us and around us. Grace and peace. Amen.